Not Just a Stepmom with Heidi Farrell. Doesn't that sound like a great name for a TV show? Hmm, maybe I just had a great idea. Heidi is a blogger, but she's not just a blogger any more than she's not just a stepmom. I won't give it all away, but she's a woman of many talents. I asked her to be here with us today to talk about the hours baby, because as you know, I don't have one of those. And I've had some special requests to delve into that world. So without further ado. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Thanks so much for doing this. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And you're totally not just a stepmom. <laughs> <laughs> you're so many things. That's true. I, I think we all are, right? One of the things you are is a musician. And I, we found that out together because I was one of those too. That's right. That's pretty cool. We both play very unique instruments. We do. Heidi is an oboist. And, and you are uh, a violist. Exactly. So there, take that, eh? <laughs> we could find a harp player and make some trios or something. <laughs> We're both the ones in demand because, exactly. well, especially you, violas are, there's never enough of you around. So that, That's kind of true. I made my whole career based on that premise. <laughs> well, and my parents convinced me to play the oboe as well because um, they thought I could get college scholarships from it. My mom is a flute player and my dad's a clarinet player. And they said, don't play our instruments. There's too many of us out there, oh, but there's yeah, never that's... enough oboe players. So you'll get better chances of a scholarship someday. So I was sort of corralled into that direction, <laughs> but I always appreciated it. Nice. Um, so, well, just tell us your story because I know it already, but you have a pretty interesting story. <laughs> Well, I was in my late 20s when I married my husband. I brought no children in to the marriage. I did bring a dog. And <laughs> if she starts barking, she's still with <laughs> us today, but you'll hear her. Um, and so I acquired two stepkids, a 12-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy. And um, we've been married now for over 10 and a half years. So my stepdaughter is 22 now. She is planning her wedding actually for the spring. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see how a COVID wedding goes, but hopefully by then it will have slowed down a little bit. And then plus it's the spring and it's outdoors. So that'll mm -hmm. help. Um, my stepson is a sophomore in college and um, I've got that we have three hours children, a nine-year-old girl, a seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy. So you yeah. are a busy lady. Well, you know, <laughs> it's good stuff though. It's fun. I homeschool them and I hope I'm a pre home pre COVID homeschool mom. So, um, I know a lot of people have had to go to that route because of, you know, schools closing and all that. Yeah. So, um, I, I have, always wanted to do that. I always yeah. wanted to do homeschool. Yeah. Uh, it has its great moments and there's some low moments in there. So for anybody listening, who's homeschooling and going, why would you choose this? <laughs> I mean, we're doing it cause we have to. <laughs> I would say, you know, there's a lot of flexibility and I don't have to answer to a school district. We don't have to do, it's not remote or, you know, virtual learning through a school district. So we have a lot more freedom, but, um, no, there are definitely, <laughs> there are definitely hard days, but overall I do, I do appreciate it a lot. Tell me about your blog. I, I don't even know, like when, when did you get started blogging? It's been about two years now, I think almost to the date. So um, it's, yeah, it's, I've always wanted to do some sort of blogging or writing, uh, about our step family journey, but I think for the longest time, it just all was sort of, we were in the trenches still. Yeah. And so it felt too raw. 
So um, coming out of that and, and, you know, I started it when, when my stepson was a senior in high school and I could also at that point get permission from them, you know, to write about some of the stuff we had been through. Not, I don't expose every single detail mm-hmm. um, out of privacy, you know, for them. And also because I can share my story, but I don't necessarily want to share their story. That's really not my yeah, place, I, but um, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But I did have permission and their blessing to write about our life and our journey and just some of the things that I've learned along the way. And they both feel like it's, you know, if it can be helpful to anybody out there, then that's definitely worth it. Um, so yeah, I started about two years ago, like I said, and just started putting it out there. It was kind of, it was kind of scary at first. I realized just how exposed I felt when I was actually putting it out there. But um, in the process, it's, it's much more comfortable now, but also just trying to, you know, I, I, as a musician, as a fellow musician, you understand we've both been through years and years of, of lessons and coachings and mentoring and all that. Um, and I, you know, we are just sort of educators by the, by nature of what we yeah. do as musicians. And so even though I'm not a school teacher, I'm an educator at heart. I've always loved um, showing people different ways to do things effectively. And I know you're the exact same way. Yeah. Um, and just sharing our story to help others find ways to connect, but also to have some practical tools to move forward in a healthier way. That's so great. Um, I've been reading your blog, which is fantastic, by the way. So I'll oh, thank absolutely you. link it here so that everybody can can find it and read because your, your writing is wonderful. I love it. Oh, thank um, you. I really liked the one that you called um, when we get lost in the heaviness of parenting. Mm. That's a great read. And it has such a lovely moment in it where you, your stepson unexpectedly says that he, he would love to be like you. One oh day. yeah. I was trying to remember. The, I mean, I remember the title. I was trying to remember exactly yeah. what the article is about. Yes. I know that was really, that caught me off guard when he, um, when he said that he wanted to be like me, because we really did struggle for many years to see eye to eye and just to, I wouldn't say necessarily get along. I think we could get along and there'd be moments of really, you know, some connection, but then there'd be some blowout or there's some argument or something that would just kind of like shake the foundation and make us both probably in our own way, feel like there was no hope for a Mm. future relationship. Um, and I always kind of hung on to that hope and I always hung on to the, you know, the, the truth that if I can continue to just be a stable part of his life and pour in, in a way that, you know, he's ready for, he, he can accept because it's not too much or too little. So I had, you know, had to be on his terms, but, um, I, I had the hope that eventually we would be able to have a relationship, but I certainly didn't know for sure. So it's always, it's always a risk. You're putting yourself out there. You're putting your heart. Um, you're exposing your heart. So, um, when you do that, then you are more likely to get hurt because you're just more vulnerable. But if you're willing to do that and just keep pouring and investing, the outcome can be wonderful. And in our case, we have worked really hard to get to this point. And, but still, even still, when he said that he wanted to be like me, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful moment. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My, stepson who is just a little bit older than yours I guess he's he's uh 21 now and 
he would always, I, I, I love it how he says this, but there would, he would be relating some or other circumstance in his life, a situation that he was in and, and he would say, and then the Tracy bubble popped up and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and I said, like, what would she tell me to do right now? You know, and that <laughs> yeah. just feels so good. Like he's got a little, a, yeah. a little bubble of me that pops up from time to time, um, you know, giving him direction in some way right. that he's listening for, like that there's a, a kind of mentorship aura or something that, that remains. And that, that was really touching. Absolutely. I think those are things that we don't even know we're instilling in them yeah. when we share our values with them or just cheer them on or encourage them, even if they're being difficult, you know, we can still find ways to try to speak to some of their good qualities or encourage them in a way that they may not have thought of. Um, and those, that voice that, that will carry with them. I think they do hear our voice come back to them. That's something we can't predict. But um, that goodness does come around eventually. And I also read something you wrote about um, pick your battles. Mm-hmm. Um, how, say something about how you know, like when you're picking your battles, how do you know if this is one that's worth, you know, as we say, is this the hill you want to die on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think maybe sometimes we don't know until we're in it. And we might, you know, quote unquote, take the bait, because I think sometimes um, not just our stepkids, but any kids are going to just try to push our buttons a little bit and see how far they can get us to go and, you know, how far they can push us before we'll just cave in and say yes. Um, So there are times where we don't necessarily realize that we've taken the bait and all of a sudden we're in this argument with them and, and we go, oh my goodness, is it, you know, is this worth it? because it's stealing my joy. It's not getting anywhere. So I think we have to kind of back away from the situation, maybe give it a little space, um, look at it from a different angle, talk to our spouse about it, talk to a friend and say, you know, is this really just contemplate? Is this really something I want to fight on? Especially if it's a big decision. Um, if it's a little thing, I have a mantra that I made for myself Yeah, and it is just, um, don't respond to absurdity. Like, seriously, that was my mantra when, when my stepson was in high school and, um, he would try to bait me with these little arguments or little yeah. things that would push me. And, and, you know, maybe it was something as silly as why do you make me eat healthy? <laughs> you know, that's just baiting you for an argument. Well, I can think of all these reasons. Why do you think he really wanted to hear all my logic? Why I wanted him to eat healthy? <laughs> no, of course not. He wanted an argument and he wanted to win. And so I learned my triggers and if there was a, something that was like inside of me when he was talking or asking me something or, or trying to get me to change my opinion on it. And again, this is because I also was full-time, full-time stepmom. Yeah. So yeah. I had a lot of these interactions on a daily basis. So for my sanity and for our relationship, I made that mantra for myself. Don't respond to absurdity. And it didn't mean that I would um, be rude to him. But if he came to me and had some sort of a snarky comment or a question that may lead to an argument... I would just give a flatline response. And if he kept pushing and kept getting closer and closer and kind of like poking me, um, I would just have to either walk away and say, look, we'll talk about it when we're both calm, or you can come back to me when you have a respectful way to ask this or talk about this. But right now, this is my answer. I'd be happy to think about it. You know, in some cases, some cases you can think about it and maybe, maybe think that you could go about it a different way. 
But if it was, a, you know, just a, an absolute no, then I would just say, this is my answer. And I'd have to sometimes remove myself from that situation. Otherwise it becomes a power struggle mm-hmm. and there's just this battle going on and it's just not healthy for the relationship. It's not good for your own sense of peace, but it certainly doesn't make them go, wow, she's just so logical and smart and wise. And I'm so <laughs> glad she's my stepmom. <laughs> I wish, but it doesn't happen that way. No way. Um, So I would love if you would share a little bit of your wisdom about the hours baby situation, because that's a big part of what you bring to this, um, to your blog and to this space uh, about, you know, you're a full-time stepmom and now you're bringing a new baby into the family. Mm -hmm. So Explain how that went for you the first time, because I've heard you tell this story about how excited you were and all the preparations that you made to to share the happy news with your husband's kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if only it had been as well received as we were hoping. But, you know, for me, it was it was something I had wanted since I was a little girl was to have a child. And, you know, obviously I wanted to wait until I was in the right place in my life, but, um, it was such an exciting thing for me and for my husband. But, um, so we tried to make it a special moment for my stepkids as well. So we took them out to a coffee shop and got them some hot chocolate and a muffin or a donut, or I don't know, a cupcake or something. And, you know, when the moment was just right and everything was calm, I looked at my husband, okay, go ahead. And he looked at the kids and told them Heidi's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby brother or sister. And we were so excited. And and part of us understood that it might be a negative response, but we were really hopeful that it would be, you know, a cheerful expression of their joy. It was not. (laughs) They both burst into tears and were very mad at us for taking them out in public because then they couldn't run to their rooms and hide. And they were so worried that maybe a school friend would come in and see them in that position. And we felt awful because, this was just not the way we had hoped it would go for them or for us, but we needless to say, packed up our things and got out of there as soon as we could. <laughs> but An the absolute numbers... a dumpster fire. That was yeah. a dumpster fire. Well, and they were, again, they were about 12 and nine when we got married. So this was a year later or I don't know, half a year later. So they were in that preteen teenager, you know, that, that um, phase and that's, it's not cool to have a pregnant stepmom. Mm. I mean, you don't want to walk into a, a school event with this pregnant woman. And I'm sure that that was part of it. And part of it was, okay, our dad, is he going to still value us in the family? And is Heidi going to still want to invest in us now that she has her own baby? Yeah. And what is our mom going to think? She's going to be so mad and we don't want her feelings to be hurt. And there were just so many elements that they were probably not even aware of right when it happened, but that they had to process. Um, So part of it was just that we needed to give them the space to process those emotions, to confirm their place in the family so that they understood, even though we thought it seems obvious, of course, we're not going to love you any less. To To you, it's obvious. obvious. Yeah. Right. But we had to really be careful that we um, verbalized that and articulated that in a way that they could understand as kids that there's enough love in our family to go around. You're going to have a very special role with this child, but you're valuable in your position in the family. And there's, 
we don't want to replace you or push you away or make you feel like you don't belong anymore. So we had to work through those emotions for the next nine months. And in that process, we moved and we got full custody. So that was also just a big adjustment. And then the day that their baby's sister was born, it was their very first day of school in a new town, in a new state as well. So there were just tons of changes right off the bat. And actually, I'm kind of surprised it didn't go worse than it did. But we just kind of took it one day at a time. I remember the first night, one of the first nights we got back from the hospital and I was sitting on the couch and for new moms, you understand that this is sometimes the nursing journey is a little painful at the beginning. And I was sitting on the couch, just trying to, to make it through this, this nursing session. And it was, I was just unable to move or anything. And, um, we would always tuck my older two step kids into bed at night and say our nightly prayers and things like that and read a story. And I couldn't because I was nursing this newborn baby. And, um, my stepdaughter said, see, I knew it was going to be different. Oh, and it was so hard because we had finally gotten to the place where we thought they were okay. And they seemed really excited to meet their baby sister. But I think just being at home back in our routine and now it's different confirmed her feelings of, okay, it will be different. And so we just had to work through that as well. And I think each time we add a change in our stepkids lives, we have to allow some, some time and, and grace to those emotions that, that go with those changes. And so I could have snapped back at her and said, don't you see that I'm in pain here? Don't you see I've got a newborn baby who needs me, but it was, no, it's okay. I, this is a temporary thing. We're going to get through this and I will come in as soon as I'm done and I'll spend some time with you. So, um, just kind of working through each of those changes has been probably the only way we've survived all that because then we added another baby and then another baby and each one had different responses, but not always pleasant. Um, but in the process of them getting to know the baby and getting the, you know, when the baby gets a little older and starts to form an attachment to their older sibling, that's when you see it's kind of reciprocated from my stepkids down to the little one is that, okay, now we finally have a bond. But that must have crushed you. Like you must have been so, so I don't know. Like, how did you feel when that was happening? I don't know how I would feel if I was all, you know, like, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And then, you know, uh, it's so hard. Like you're so in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? You are. And again, it was something that was so joyful for me. Um, my husband too, but he had been through this before. This was the first time I was announcing that I was pregnant. This was a, it was a huge joy for me. So to have, to feel like my joy was the the source of somebody else's pain was really difficult because I didn't want to feel like I was doing something wrong. I felt like this was a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. It was, it was desired, but to, to have that choice or that outcome, I suppose, be the cause of somebody's pain was, that was the hardest part to work through so that I didn't start to feel angry toward them for sort of robbing me of my joyful moment. So I had to find other ways to express my joy and to find ways to, to revel in that moment so that it wasn't stolen from me. And I just, so what I did was I had to find friends I could talk to and my family members. And we were in a new state that was, a there have been a couple moves in here. So, but anyway, it was a new place for me. So I didn't have a huge network of friends yet. Um, and so I would just go out to the consignment store and browse through the little baby section. And that would bring me joy. I had to do things that um, I could 
experience those feelings and not deny those feelings so that I didn't form the resentment toward my stepkids for what they were feeling because both of our feelings were legitimate and they were both valid. It's just that I needed to be able to process mine in a joyful way. And they needed to process theirs in a way that took care of their pain. That's so, I I love how you express that because you like, you used your adult resources to get what you needed in an appropriate context. And the kids don't have any adult resources. All they can do is express how they're feeling and, and hope that it lands in a, you know, in a sympathetic place that somebody can understand what's going on and help them. Right. Um, I think it's a, for many kids, it's a, it's a disaster when they're, mm-hmm. I mean, in our audience, we're talking about dad having a, a baby with another woman. Like I can't even imagine my own, my daughter who is an only child grew up. She, you know, she wanted a sibling for the first, like when she was really little, eh? I, I remember around age four or five, six, that she was, would bug me to have a little brother, little sister. <laughs> but mm-hmm. after that, she was so entrenched in the privilege of being an only child. She used to say, and still says today, thank you for not having any more children. Thank you for not having any more children. Thank you for not having any more children. Like she is just the kind of person who needs peace and quiet around her. Mm. She needs a lot of time alone. Um, She needs to, you know, have order in her life and, And I think she also needs a certain degree. She was never an attention hog, but she needs a certain degree of connection that she always suspected would be broken Mm -hmm. if my attention was diverted to a little brother or sister. She also had the experience of having a close friend who was exactly her age, who had a little sister that she hated. Mm -hmm. And that the drama between those two little girls was unendurable. I mean, even just to go and visit them was, was so difficult because it was nonstop fighting nonstop, you know, and the little girl would, was the one who got more attention by virtue of being younger, but then she would do everything to get her older sister in trouble. And there would be lots of crying. She took my toy away, whatever. And then the older one would scream. She always does this and you always believe her. And, you know, yeah. So I think she could imagine based on like a negative experience that she'd had, what it means to have a younger sibling. And of course, it's not always like that. But yeah, for sure. I mean, I certainly fought with my little brother. So that Mm -hmm. like the, the, the specter of a lot of conflict and uh, favoritism and um, annoying behaviors and all of that primes kids to say, you know, I don't, I don't want that. Like, that's not yeah. a good thing for me. So I, and, well, I, and it's I, interesting. You, yeah. No, you go ahead. go ahead. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, when it comes to step families in that, the sort of that, the competition for attention or the competition for who was right in mom and dad's eyes or step parents eyes, it can be really it can be really awful. I mean, it can be bad enough in a nuclear first traditional type family, but in a step family, there are stories that the stepkids weave in their minds right. that may not even be true. It may not even be what the, the parent or the step parents feeling, but they weave these stories together in their minds and they're very real for them. 
that, oh, my little sibling is the chosen one. Oh, they are the desired one because the parents in this house are both parents, you know, they're both the biological parents for this child. And I'm sort of this outcast child. And I think that we, we don't necessarily need to walk on eggshells in that situation, but we do have to be very aware of that, that that is something that could really affect them as they grow up and that could really shape who they become. And that could also lead to them making really drastic choices in their own life as adults to make up for that feeling of loss of the place in the family. So again, I think as step parents, we kind of have to look at the situation in a way that is never just simply, okay, the little one didn't know any better. So just give them the benefit of the doubt, give them some grace. So I've really tried, and I probably have failed at this, but I've really tried to make it very clear to my older stepkids, even when their younger sibling is innocent or doing something that's just annoying, but, you know, not trying to really be bad or naughty, but, you know, it's just because of their age, um, still validate my stepkids. I know that it's annoying and I'm really sorry. They keep going into your room and taking your stuff out. I'm trying to stop that. If I see it, we'll get a lock on your door. Um, I know it's frustrating, but could you try to understand that they're still learning and the best way that you can teach them is to not yell at them and not punish them or scold them in your own way, but just to try to gently talk them through it and give them some boundaries, but to really kind of step into their space a little bit and understand that our older stepkids are feeling that in a really strong way. It's not, and we shouldn't just brush that off. Like, oh, you should just understand. Why can't you just figure that out? I love that. No, that's, I think that's really so important. And I liked what you said about how even, even having the mistaken idea of what it means for them, they can integrate that in a way that could really affect their personality moving forward. So it, and I, I read so many comments in my Facebook group and elsewhere on social media um, about people having uh, women having difficulty with um, like kids who are, let's say five, six, seven, eight years old being too rough with the new baby or saying, you know, I hate that new baby or whatever. And uh, I mean, I didn't live through that, so I can't imagine, but I can tell you that even still, I find myself being careful when I'm talking to my biological daughter because she hasn't lived here now for, I guess, 15 years. Like she's been away at university. She's an adult. She has a job. She just bought a house. She's a grown up. But replacement children have come to live in this house. Mm -hmm. And my attention is around them. And I'm helping them with their homework and I'm cooking their meals and we're doing stuff together. And my life is is, um, very much about them. And I can feel it sometimes when I talk about one of those kids who she actually likes and gets along with, but Mm -hmm. there's a kind of a bristly feeling like, okay, that's enough now, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, like whatever, you know, Um, you're my mom. This is not so interesting for me. So in that case, like she's the older one who should really know better, but Mm -hmm. I still have to be careful about her feelings Mm-hmm. when she misinterprets my relationship with my stepkids who live here with me. 
Right. And, and it's, it doesn't go away with age, does it? I mean, no. <laughs> step families don't get easier. I mean, they change the, the problems are different as, as the kids get older, but there's always going to be some protective feelings that go along with, with any family and even um, adult stepchildren or adults who are, who's maybe their parent is a widow or widower and get remarried. It still has that little bit of a weird feeling of having to share. So I think that those are things that we kind of have to think about. Um, as you were mentioning earlier, when you have some stepkids who are younger and really need a lot of your attention, if they are in that five, six, seven age range, or even under anybody under 10, really is going to need a lot of attention. Um, and it can feel really annoying, I think, to a step parent, a stepmom <laughs> to have to, get... <laughs> I'll just say it bluntly. It's um, totally annoying. <laughs> to really feel like you have to give them that attention. And some, some step parents, some step moms are, are really having to do a lot of the childcare for this age. Especially range. now, especially right. now, my goodness. Right. And so when you have a baby and if you're, for example, if you're a first time mom and then you have this desire to spend this time bonding with your child, your new baby, and then you've got this stepchild who you might love this child, but they're still infringing on that bonding time that you're trying to have with your, with your hours, baby. Or even if it's a biological child that you've brought in from a previous marriage it, or relationship, you still need to have some of that quiet time with that child. Mm-hmm. Just the two of you are just, you know, how many of whatever amount there are that if you feel like you, your time is always infringed upon by a stepchild it can form resentment, even if you love that other child and want to bond with them too. So I think it's, it's a completely appropriate to set aside time to just be with your biological children and have that bonding time. And likewise, the father should be with his children doing Absolutely. the same thing. hundred percent. So that each of those kids needs are being met by that biological parent. It's so easy to say, oh, let's just do all this stuff as a family. And it can be wonderful to have that family time. But there's still an ache, I think, and that biological connection has to be nurtured. So something that worked really well with us, and I know it can't work for every single family in every single situation, um, but when we had our hours babies, I decided to stay at home with them. And so I had, now I know this doesn't work if you're homeschooling your stepkids, but I had the day at home with my little ones that I could really spend that time connecting and bonding with them so that when my older stepkids came home after school, I was filled. My cup had been filled. So then I could go your little kids. Exactly. Exactly. So then they were more likely to share me too with a better attitude because Mm -hmm. they had spent the day with me too. So um, it allowed me to then pour into my stepkids after school, help them with homework or take them to different activities, sports, music, all that, take them to appointments and not feel like, Oh my goodness, I'm not ever getting a chance to bond with my own child. But I understand that in some cases, you have to work full time or you're, like I said before, maybe you're homeschooling at home with your stepchild and you don't get that. So I think it's as step parents, we have to be very intentional about carving away those moments in the yeah. day. And it, it's not mean to tell a child, a stepchild, for example, I need to t- take care of the baby or the toddler right now for a little while. You need to go sit and read a book or listen to an audiobook or play with your toys or do a puzzle. But I promise you, we're going to have 20 to 30 minutes, just you and me, maybe when the baby's napping, or maybe when dad comes home and can take care of the other ones, we're going to go out and do something just the two of us, whether it's not necessarily out of the house, but, but um, 
whether it's read a book together or color together or who knows what. And that's something you can actually encourage the child to think about. What would you like to do during our time later today? That's great. And so that they can process that and be excited about that. So I think a lot of the issues come from the child constantly pushing, pushing, pushing because they're desiring that quality time with us. We just have to spend a little time filling their cup with that uninterrupted time. And we'd be surprised at how far that can go in the rest of the day. Absolutely. Uninterrupted is the key word too, right? Because we're, we're all so good at multitasking that it's really easy to say, yeah. we'll spend some time together while I'm making supper. Yeah. You know, it's just you and me, or we'll spend some time together and you're watching the kid play Legos while you're answering your emails or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for that time to be very focused and to be uninterrupted. Right. And exactly. It to work. And I, and I, Otherwise I, it, it just reinforces the idea that you're not there for them. Exactly. And I, I fall into the same trap. So I have to be really careful about setting my phone where I can't hear it or reach it yeah. if I hear a ting or something. Um, but also with, with the sitting down, you know, if we think about children, I, I, I did not make this up. Somebody along the way made it up, but children spell love T I M E. Mm. And so that can really go a long way with um, some, some of that kind of annoying behavior that we're experiencing. It may just be that they need a clear boundary of, well, right now it doesn't work, but here's what we have to look forward to. I promise I'll go play that game with you after I get done with this or that. Do you know about hand in hand parenting? Did we talk about this before? We had, yes, I have website? heard of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I just love them. And I love the, it's, um, her name is Patty Whitfler who developed that mm -hmm. system. And she calls what you're talking about. She calls it special time. And she says that there are some uh, important characteristics that have to be in place for it to count as special time. One is that you announce it so that it's clear that this is your special time with me. Another one is that you put a timer on and you both mm -hmm. know how long it's going to be. We're going to have five minutes of special time as soon as I'm done doing this. And the third one is that it's completely uninterruptible time. So you can't stop in the middle to take care of something, you know, unless the house is burning yeah. down, but you have <laughs> to organize the other kids that everybody's doing something and you're not going to get up and stir the supper or whatever. Like, so five minutes might be all that you can spare to get to make right. all of those parameters. And the fourth one is that it has to be completely child driven, that the child mm -hmm. gets to decide what they want to do with you. You're not guiding the play you're not directing anything. If they want you to put the red block on top of the blue one uh, 500 times for five <laughs> minutes, then that's what you do with them. But you don't, you don't try to make it an educational moment. You don't try to, you know, you don't try to manipulate the play in any way. And if the child just wants to jerk your chain and make you do something that they know you don't like doing, you have to suck it up for five minutes. But that's the way mm -hmm. that the, the time has the quality that you want it to have of producing a connection between you because right. the, the time lots of people feel like they're spending time with their kids when they're watching tv together or whatever mm -hmm. and it might not be having the effect that we hope for it especially when we think we're spending quality time and it's the parents idea of what quality time is it doesn't mm -hmm. have the meaning for the child of like you just said filling their cup that's that's the thing that makes it work. It really fills them up with connection so that so much of that negative behavior dissolves away. They don't have to do it because they're not 
they're crying out for attention when they're being irritating or annoying or doing those things. So Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I'll I'll put the link for hand in hand parenting.org. That's the name of the website, but they, they have loads of wonderful information and videos and stuff there. I, I really recommend that highly. Yeah. And I think also when you think about as kids grow older and sometimes when you think about a teenager and how do they have that, that bonding time with you. And if it's a step teenager and you're already feeling like you don't know them as well, or you don't know how they tick as well, how do we possibly bond? All I'm getting is this bad attitude all the time, you know, when they're little and they're pushing your buttons and, Oh, I want to spend time with you and play, do what I want to do all the time. That's one thing. And that's a great way to navigate it. And I think as they get older, those those little annoying things become kind of bad attitudes and really negative responses and rejection even. Um, So I think what you're saying can even apply just in a different way to the teenage years or the preteen years. It's just that, like you said, it has to be something that they have chosen. They drive it. And even if it is watching a show, what do they want to watch? Sometimes just that shoulder to shoulder interaction on the couch if they've chosen it then you're validating some of their interests or if it's taking a walk with the dog late at night you know I find personally I found that my stepkids um, now again they're 22 and 19 but when they were teenagers late at night was the time to bond with them they didn't necessarily have any desire to talk after school they were tired they were exhausted they just wanted to go down to their rooms or veg out or whatever but it was late at night when they had sort of calmed down from the day and gotten some of their schoolwork done or whatever, then they're ready. They're ripe and ready, right when you're ready to go to bed. Exactly. You know, but (laughs) I was going to say we had a a lovely routine when my stepson was younger. Well, I say it was a routine. It was just his habit to come into my office, my home office every night around 8.30 or nine o'clock when he had his pajamas on and he would sort of unpack his day for me. And that was just kind of a spontaneous thing. He would stand in the doorway of my office and tell me stuff that happened at school that day, what was going on for him. And I, I just think back really fondly on those moments, but it's exactly what you said. Like you have, then of course, I was always just a teeny bit irritated because I had to stop what I was doing. And it was a good time for me to be getting work done. And reliably, just as I would get into something, he would appear at the doorway. So I would turn off my computer and, and sometimes it could go on for half an hour or an hour mm-hmm. of talking. And my husband would complain, like, he said, what's going on? You know, he only talks to you. He never talks to me, but it's because I stop what I'm doing and I listen. Yeah. And I right. don't and say, you, were you know, come back when my show is over in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I made myself available and it, mm-hmm. it paid off in that way because we had those nice moments of talking together. Right. And they sometimes spring stuff on you that you don't even think that they're going to want to talk about. But again, being like you're saying, kind of shifting your focus right onto them gives them this sense of, oh, I can open up a little bit. And I'm not saying that this is going to be the case for every relationship right away. It's, it's a process to get to that point. I'm sure you had to work through a process of building that trust so that he would come and talk to you. And I had to do the same with my stepson and even my stepdaughter, even though she was more willing to share things with me from the beginning, but just that availability, even if it's just a question, if they have a question for you, just sort of looking at them, giving that eye contact, those are ways you can build trust over the years. Even if it's a simple question, like, Hey, can you take me to this practice? You stop and you look at them, you give them that dignity of, I see you. 
and you say, sure, I can do that. Or no, that doesn't work with my schedule. You'll have to find another option or whatever it is. You can still look at them and and build that relationship of, of connection and trust so that as they get older and they've had those many moments all over the years of, of that trust being built, then they do feel like they can come to you with the bigger issues like relationships or a friend is getting in this trouble at school. How do I help them? And, and those really are kind of like the victory moments you're cheering inside. Like, Oh, they actually came to me and they wanted my advice, but it doesn't come right away. And it doesn't come when we um, refuse to sort of sacrifice some of those things that we want to hold on to. Like you said, Oh, this is a great time for me to get work done or I'm really busy, but if we can just sort of give them in that moment, our full attention, even if it's a brief moment that will eventually pay off. I love this. You're so full of good advice. <laughs> Thank you. So are you. I love your advice. <laughs> so um, tell everybody where they can find you, find your blog. It's not just else. a stepmom. Yeah. Not just a stepmom.com. And I'm also on Facebook under not just a stepmom. Sorry, not just a stepmom, Heidi Farrell, and also on Instagram. Awesome. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes too. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, thank you, Tracy. It was a pleasure talking to you as always. Well, how's that for dipping a toe into the ocean? I'm pretty sure we could say a lot more about bringing a new baby into the family and how that goes. Because it's not just hard at the very beginning. We didn't touch at all on the concept of birth order. You know, when someone is the eldest or the middle child or the baby of the family and how they're affected when their position in the family changes because of a new arrival. And because Heidi's stepkids lived with her full time, we also didn't get to talk about what happens when an older sibling goes away every other week or stops coming over at all, as sometimes happens. It can be really hard on the little kids when, when they love their older brother and sister and don't get to see them all the time. And because the birth of a new child is often a trigger for an alienating parent to ramp it up and use the excitement about a new baby to reinforce their child's natural feeling that they're just not important anymore. You heard how Heidi's stepdaughter fell right into that default belief the moment that baby's needs had to interrupt her own previous pattern of how she was getting attention. I just want to say a few more words about this because I think a lot of families get caught by surprise when this happens. As a kid of divorce, when your dad has another child with someone who's not your mom, it can activate really deep feelings of betrayal and fears of abandonment. They know, and it it really is true, that your first loyalty as a mom is going to be to your own child. And no matter how good their relationship is with you, they're no match for the power of nature and DNA. And the feeling is that now that dad is loyal to you, stepmom, and not to their own mom anymore, that he's also more likely to defend the kids he shares with you than to stick his neck out to save me, the lowly child from his first marriage. At least that's the default thought pattern they're going to have. So if you want to install other beliefs, you have to work at it intentionally. And this is where dad has to step up his parenting game in a big way. It is not business as usual after a baby comes. There's a great big 
fucking elephant under the carpet. And of course, it's great to use your words and make sure the kids know that you're counting on them to be a big brother or big sister for this baby or to start thinking about what they want to show this baby or to know that the baby will not be allowed to touch this or that toy or whatever. All of that is good and important. But the nonverbal stuff is important too. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say nonverbal stuff, I go over a lot of that in detail in the quick start guide to my restorative parenting method that you can grab by going to bit.ly slash dad again. Of course, you can start using the techniques you'll see there way before you need to restore your damaged relationship with your kids. You could actually probably prevent that from even happening. The link to grab that free guide once again is bit.ly slash dad again. Restorative parenting is the method I teach inside my Undeletable Dad program that was specifically developed for dads who are dealing with various degrees of parental alienation. And it's a pretty unconventional approach to that problem. No surprise if you're listening to me. And as I prepare more guidance and resources for divorced dads, I'd love to chat with any of you who are experiencing any kind of alienation from your kids. If you feel like your relationship with one or more of your children is on a downward spiral that you don't understand or can't control, please do me and probably lots of other dads a favor and hop on a call with me so I can learn from your experiences. Email me at info at or click the link in the show notes and go straight to my calendar and find a day and time that works for you. I really can't wait to talk with you. And if you're a stepmom who sees this happening in your family, tell your partner I want to talk to him. Hey, it's a Zoom call. You can come too. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.